0: I needed a cup of coffee, and I didn't have time to grab it, and it, someone else brought it for me. That's called the body of Christ. That's how that works. Our second reading this morning is First uh, John chapter 1. I will read verses 5 through 9. I'm reading in the ERV translation. Crazy about this translation, the easy to read translation. Hear the word of God. We heard the true teaching from God. Now we tell it to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. So if we say that we share in life with God, but we continue living in darkness. We are liars who do not follow the truth. We should live in the light where God is. If we live in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood sacrifice of Jesus, God's Son, washes away every sin and makes us clean. If we say that we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. We can trust God to do this. He always does what is right. He will make us clean from all the wrong things we have done. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, ask that uh, you would be present here uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that uh, the Spirit which inspired these words of Scripture might... Uh, illuminate our minds as we listen to them and as we try to make sense of them. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Theologians use the term ordo salutis. How about we say that? Ordo salutis. It means uh, order of salvation, and it's a, a way of talking about the progressive steps that are involved in our salvation. The Lutherans were the first to use this term about 300 years ago. But the idea of there being a sequence of steps involved in our salvation is rooted in Scripture. For example, in Romans 8, 29, and 30, we read, Those whom God foreknew, He also predestined. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. Those are five steps. There are other steps that can be added to the sequence that Paul mentions. For example, faith and repentance are two steps along the way uh, to salvation. Theologians don't agree 100% on what steps should be included in a complete Ordo salutis, or what the proper sequence of those steps should be, but there is broadly speaking agreement uh, on the order. In the first two weeks of November, I preached on justification, one of the steps uh, in everyone's list. Last week, I preached on adoption, which also makes everyone's list. And this week, I want to talk about sanctification. Again, it's on everyone's ordo-salutist list. Justification, adoption, sanctification are the three core stages in the life of a Christian. Before justification, we are not yet Christians, even if we're on our way to becoming Christians. With justification... We are also adopted. Those two happen simultaneously. And once we are justified and adopted, then sanctification begins. A process that will continue until the day that we die. Sanctification is the process by which we become more and more free of sin, more and more like Christ in our actions and in our attitudes. Now, there are some Christians who believe that it is possible in this life to become entirely sanctified. They believe that it is possible to entirely stop sinning. This entire sanctification is central to the teaching of Charles Wesley and the Methodist. John Calvin and the Presbyterians, on the other hand, teach that we will... Teach that we will not be entirely sanctified until the day that we see Jesus face to face. But both the Wesleyans and the Calvinists agree that Christians undergo a process of sanctification and that Christians should expect to be more Christ like as time goes by. Justification and sanctification are two components, two steps. In the ordo salutis, in the process of salvation. But why do we need to be saved? Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because we have a sin problem. A problem that can kill us. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. So according to God, everyone is a sinner. And everyone is under a death sentence because of that sin. And the Bible also says all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. And our sins, like the wind, have blown us away. that means that trying harder is not going to solve our sin problem. It isn't that we are misbehaving and then can turn over a new leaf and start pleasing God so that we no longer are under the death sentence. The Bible tells us that even when we try to do good works, that those good works are mixed with sin. Even our charity and our kindness are never pure or selfless in the sight of God. Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, according to the Bible. All of that means that we, by ourselves, cannot solve this sin problem. By ourselves, we cannot get this death sentence off our back. And so God, in His mercy, sent His Son to die for those who would believe in Him. If we have faith in Jesus then his death pays for our sins. That's the core of the gospel, that we can be forgiven of all of our sins. And the way that we receive that free gift of forgiveness is by faith in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you have been justified by God. God the judge decides to wipe your record clean And that justification happens in a moment. It happens the moment you truly believe. You are only justified once, and then forevermore you stand before God as a justified and adopted child of God. Sometimes we call that moment of faith when we are justified being born again, or being saved, or getting right with God whatever we call it, there comes a moment in the life of each Christian when they make a decision. They believe the Bible. And the Bible teaches them that they are a sinner under a death sentence. And in the Bible they read about the offer of the Gospel. Romans 10.9 puts it this way, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then one day, they take that leap of faith. They make that profession of faith, and in that moment, God forgives their sins and adopts them as sons and daughters. The primary hesitation to taking that leap of faith is that it requires that we admit that we are sinners who need help. The very first word in Jesus' preaching is repent. And that's hard for some people, especially if you're proud. But for each Christian, there comes a moment when they own up to the reality of their life. They understand that Christ can fix their problem, and they call out to God... For mercy and for forgiveness. And in that moment, they are born again. By an act of sovereign grace, God justifies us. Our lousy record is replaced with Christ's perfect record. The Bible says that we become new creatures in Christ. The old passes away and everything becomes new. And if you have come to faith, if you have been born again in the midst of A real crisis in your life when your sin is causing all kinds of problems with you. Some people come to faith out of addiction or out of broken relationships. If you have been born again in the midst of a crisis caused by your own sin, you are hopeful that things are going to be better in the future. That now with Christ in your life, now with the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of you... By the way, that's another thing that happens when we're born again... The Holy Spirit comes to live with us. You have this hope that all of a sudden life is going to be sweeter. And that the problems are going to go away. And sometimes things do get better right away. I know people who have been cured of crippling addictions 100% in a single moment. It's possible. But the reality is that all of us after we are saved, after we have been born again, after we have been justified, will again see sin in our lives. You've repented of your sins, you've asked Jesus to wash you clean in his blood, and then you find yourself sinning again. And it feels terrible. Because you were hoping to be free of that sin. You were hoping to live a good life, a clean life, now that you're born again. And sometimes young Christians will panic when that happens. They see the sin in their life and they wonder, well, maybe I wasn't really saved after all. If I'm sinning, is this a sign that I don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of me? Here's a basic truth. Christians continue to sin after they've been born again. And the blood of Christ, by which they are saved, by which they are justified, will also cover those new sins. Once we are in Christ, no one can snatch us away from Christ. That's the promise in Scripture. But the experience of sinning as a Christian is very different from the experience of sinning before we became Christians. Because we Christians have the Holy Spirit in us, So when we sin, it really hurts. It stings our conscience. We are uncomfortable. Before we're saved, we can sin without thinking much about it. After all, our sins are no worse than anyone else's, and everyone's doing the same thing, so what's the big deal? It's only natural. Maybe we should just learn to accept ourselves the way that we are. But after we've been saved, our sins haunt us and torment us. Psalm 38, David said, There is no rest in my bones because of my sin. The relief will come once we confess those sins. In Psalm 32, David describes the process of sinning, suffering, confessing, and relief. He writes, When I kept silent about my sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That was the conscience. My strength was sacked, as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The attitude of a born-again Christian toward his sin is different than the attitude of a non-believer, of an unsaved person. The Christian sins, but then he suffers pangs of conscience, of conscience until he gets right with God again through confession. But where is this new creature that we heard promised in scripture? Why do I keep on sinning? Bible makes it clear that once we are justified by faith in Jesus, we then need to progress in our development in Christ-likeness. Over time, we should look more and more like Christ. This process of changing to look more and more like Christ we call sanctification. I've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but where's my Sanctification. How can I become more and more free of my sin? The simple answer is, the gospel by which we are saved is the gospel by which we are sanctified. And that gospel begins with the word, repent. The last Sunday in October was Reformation Sunday, the anniversary of the day that Martin Luther Uh, who was a Roman Catholic priest and a theology professor, he nailed a piece of paper to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, and on that piece of paper, Luther had written 95 theses or 95 statements for the students in the seminary to discuss and to debate. And the first thesis in the 95 thesis was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4, 17. He willed or he intended the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Let me read that again. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. We enter the Christian life through repentance. Someone who has never repented is not yet a Christian. When I repent, I acknowledge that I have sinned and disobeyed God and that I regret what I've done. Repentance is part of being born again. There is no salvation without repentance. There is no justification without repentance. If I do not admit my guilt, the judge will not erase my guilt. We enter the Christian life through repentance. To be justified, to be saved, we must repent And we have taught that justification is a once-for-all-time change in our legal status before God. When I'm born again, I am united to Christ, and my sins, past, present, and future are wiped away from the judicial record. So in light of that, why should I go on repenting? Why, as Luther suggested, did Jesus want the entire life of believers to be one of repentance? Well, because while repentance is required for our justification, for our entry into the Christian life, repentance is also the means by which our sanctification happens. We are justified in a single moment. That's once, for all times. But our sanctification is an ongoing process of rooting out the sin in our lives and becoming increasingly free from that sin. And the way that we do that is by repenting of it. Let's take a look at our scripture passage for today. 1 John is a letter that the Apostle John wrote to a group of churches. John was something like a bishop, and there were a group of churches in what we now call Turkey that were under his his authority, and he writes a letter to, to those churches. So, This letter is a letter of a born-again Christian writing to other born-again Christians. And what he writes is this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves. If we Christians say we have no sins, we Christians are fooling ourselves. John is not preaching to pagans here. He's not preaching to the unsaved. He's talking to people who have already believed the gospel, who have been united to Christ in faith. These are justified people. These are adopted sons and daughters of God. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And he says to those people, if we say we have no sins, we're fooling ourselves. The person who does not see or who cannot bring himself to admit the sin in his life is either blind or he is in denial. You know how it is with people in denial. Everyone else around them sees the problem. But if you ask them about it, oh, I don't have a problem. If we say we have no sins, we're only fooling ourselves. No one else is fooled. But if I am a justified born-again Christian, and if I'm looking to become more like Christ, and I'm longing to be more fully sanctified, what can I do about this sin that I'm not going to fool myself about anymore? How is it that I go about rooting out this sin in my life? Well, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, God will forgive us, and he will make us clean from all the wrong things we have done. There's another passage that I think is important in this regard. We find that in James chapter 5, James was the brother of Jesus, and uh, uh, James was the leader of the church uh, in Jerusalem. He wrote one letter, uh, at least one letter that we have, and like 1 John, It's a letter from a born-again Christian to other born-again Christians. And James, the Apostle James writes, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, maybe that sounds a little bit crazy to you. It's one thing, after all, to confess your sins to God. But... What's this about confessing our sins to one another? Sanctification is about changing. It's about becoming better people. It's about getting unstuck from old habits that have trapped us and haunted us in the past. Everyone has certain signature sins, or go-to sins. For some of us, it's gossip. For some of us, it's lying. For some of us, it's drunkenness. For some of us, it's laziness. For some of us, it's selfishness. Each one of us has certain sins that seem to hold us in their grip more than others. And we begin to feel the victory of God's sanctifying work in us as we are more and more free of these signature sins. And a really practical way to deal with those sins is to confess them to other people in the church. There's a Presbyterian preacher from uh, South Florida. His name is uh, Steve Brown. Is that the name? Steve Brown, right? Seth Fluter's favorite pastor. Steve Brown, uh, he used to say that if we, if we walked into church with a sign around our neck naming our, our biggest sins, there'd be a revival in one week. Okay, <laughs> Something about exposing that sin to brothers and sisters in Christ has a way of rooting, of rooting, that, of rooting that sin out. A practical way of dealing with the sins in our lives is to begin to confess them to other people in the church. If we keep falling into the same sins over and over again and we keep regretting doing that same thing that I said I wasn't going to do, it really helps to have a Christian brother or sister that we trust, that we can be honest with, to talk to about that, And they can pray for you. And their prayers can be very powerful in healing you from bondage to that sin. For Christians, repentance, and repentance is nothing more than just telling the truth about ourselves and about our sin, repentance should become our regular habit. We should be quick to confess our sins to God and to one another, and As Christians, we are able to do this. We're willing to confess our sins because we know that our righteousness comes from God and not from ourselves. Because we know that our righteousness comes from God and not ourselves, we're not afraid to tell the truth about ourselves. If I'm relying on my own righteousness, then I have to be polishing my resume all of the time. If it's all about how good that I am, I can't let on to you about how wicked I really am. But once I'm relying upon the righteousness of Christ alone, then I can begin to tell the truth about how I am. People who are living in their own righteousness feel a compulsive need to convince you of how good they are. And when they mess up, they can never admit it. And they cover it up. And then they add to the sin by lying about their failure because they fear the judgment and they fear the rejection for having failed. But as Christians, we don't need to prove anything to anyone. We know we have messed up. We know that we were born into sin and that we've added another pile of sins throughout the course of our lives. And we know that we are accepted by God not because of our goodness but because of the goodness of Christ and the fact that we've been united to Christ through faith. The perfect record of Jesus becomes ours by faith and we have nothing then to prove to the world and that makes us very free. It makes us free to admit our failures. And when we... Admit our failures. Here's the funny thing. We actually begin to fail less. The people who are able to tell the truth about themselves, and that's what confession means, actually put themselves on a path of improvement. Look, if I'm in denial about the problems in my life, if I'm constantly trying to prove to you how good I am and constantly covering up my failures and my shortcomings, well, I'm never going to get better at anything. Confession and repentance is just telling the truth about ourselves, and that truth sets us free, and that truth allows us to change for the better. As long as we're in denial, as long as we're covering up the truth, we do not change. But if we confess our sins to one another, if we pray for one another, powerful things begin to happen in our lives. Let me close by saying this. Our justification is not a work that we accomplish. Our justification is something that God does for us. He does it through the Holy Spirit. And our sanctification also is not a work that we accomplish, being more and more free of sin, living more and more like Jesus every day. This is not the result of some kind of self-improvement program. It's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And one of the primary means by which God uses that God uses to change us in this way is ongoing repentance. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we ask for your help and for your mercy. We ask for your patience. We pray that you continue to work on us and change us. Continue to shape us and to mold us into the kind of people that Speak. This we pray in Jesus' name.